Hi there, I'm Natalie Moore, Southside Bureau Reporter for WBEZ, and you're listening to Curious City. In this episode, we'll take on a sensitive question about race in a quaint little neighborhood on the far south side. We're talking about Beverly. Unlike many surrounding Southside neighborhoods, Beverly is integrated with black and white families, often living side by side. How did this happen in notoriously segregated Chicago? It's a remarkable story that most folks have never heard of. Until now. That's coming up after this message. Stay with us. Curious City is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer committed to delivering product innovation and customer service in the energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment markets. More at DoverCorporation.com. And by Marina Grand Resort, a boutique hotel featuring waterfront suites with fireplaces and European kitchens. Spring getaway ideas are at marinagrandresort.com. Who is the What is going to be? When are we going to get our... What? It's time for Curious City, WBEZ's news gathering experiment where we track down answers to your questions about Chicago and the region. I'm Natalie Moore, and if you're wondering who that is in studio, that is Hampton. We will hear more from Hampton and his family later. But today, I'll be answering a question about the evolution of the racial composition in one Southside neighborhood. Here's Aaron McDuffie's question. How has Beverly managed to maintain racial integration while the majority of other Southside neighborhoods experienced white flight? First, some backstory. Black people in Chicago were confined to neighborhoods on the Southside called the Black Belt. But that changed in 1948 in the Shelley v. Kramer Supreme Court case. That court case struck down racially restrictive covenants, which up until then made it illegal for black people to buy property from whites. And that drastically changed the racial composition of Chicago. Black families moved to white neighborhoods, Inglewood, Chatham, Calumet Heights, Avalon Park. White families moved out. White flight happened all across the South Side, but not in Beverly. In 1970, it was still 99% white. But there was a large fear from many that Beverly was going to turn into a black ghetto. So the short answer to Aaron's question about why Beverly became integrated is this. Basically, some residents in the neighborhood decided to embrace and commit to integration. Patrick Stanton was one of them. He's a white Beverly resident who went around the neighborhood giving presentations on integration. He still lives in Beverly. He gave us this archival tape from 1971. We call this presentation Beverly Now. There are thousands of blacks who want homes, they can afford homes, and certainly they deserve to live where they can afford to. Let's insist that if blacks are going to look in this community, they look throughout the community. The realtors should show homes freely throughout the community so they'll be scattered. Welcome, but scattered. That was Patrick Stanton, a white Beverly resident who helped spread the message of integration in Beverly. I have Erin McDuffie in studio, and this was a very personal question for her and her family, and I'm going to let Erin introduce the baby who I tried <laughs> to introduce earlier and her husband. So my name is Erin McDuffie. This is my husband, Patrick Morales-Doyle, and our son, Hampton McDuffie Morales. Hello. Can you say hi, Hampton? Can you say hi? Hi. I'm not originally from Chicago, and I also 
have a background in studying race and segregation. And so um, moving here, I've always found the racial makeup of the city very interesting. When we went to find a home, we were sort of limited in our options in terms of finding an integrated space. And um, you wanted to be on the south side. And we wanted to be on the south side, yes. Um, for personal reasons, for professional reasons, it just made sense for us. Patrick's family actually grew up in Beverly. Going there and visiting and spending more time there, it completely surprised me that this place, that this neighborhood existed on the south side of Chicago. I found the balance, the racial balance very interesting and exciting in terms of finding a space to live. Patrick, tell us about your family's connections to Beverly. Both of my parents grew up there in the 60s and 70s. I grew up downstate in Champaign-Urbana, so I had sort of... I was familiar with it just as a kid sort of visiting and stuff. But my parents had very fond memories from from when they grew up there. And so I'm sure you heard about the trips that Aaron and I took, one to the Ridge Historical Society, and Hampton was our assistant. (laughs) He's a very good escort around the neighborhood. Yes. And so with that Patrick Stanton clip that we just heard, we actually saw that original Beverly Now flip chart presentation. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so the other thing that we learned was about the Beverly Area Planning Association, which in 1971 changed its focus from dealing with zoning laws and other typical neighborhood issues like parking and decided to craft a new mission that dealt with integration. Beverly residents didn't succumb to blockbusting and panic peddling, and that's when real estate agents would try to inflame racial tensions and get white people to sell their houses cheaply, and then in turn they would sell them cheaply to blacks, and then the neighborhoods would just turn very quickly overnight. And so that didn't happen in Beverly. And also residents signed these letters of intent telling real estate agents, you know, look, we are not interested in selling. Please don't come here and try to to panic us. So the 1970s were pretty huge in the beginning of integration because by 1980, the black population in Beverly was almost 14 percent. Remember, just 10 years earlier, there were virtually no black people living in Beverly. I talked to a lot of people for this story, and one of them was Chuck Shannonbrook. In the 1980s, he led the Beverly Area Planning Association, known as BAPA. And here's what he had to say about the new real estate force that was threatening the efforts of integration. Beverly was was an integrated community, and most realtors felt uh, that were in the areas around it either that this was a neighborhood that was going to change, like all most of the other neighborhoods on the south side did change. So they steered blacks to Beverly, saying you wouldn't, and they wouldn't show them houses in in other neighborhoods, unless they were all black neighborhoods or integrated neighborhoods. And if there were white clients that they were looking for a house or whatever, they'd say, well, you really wouldn't want to live in Beverly because they wouldn't be comfortable in an integrated neighborhood. So they steered whites away. And so there was, it was a very tough time. And, and really the organization had to take on the major force, which was the market. Chuck Shannonbrook was talking about the realtors steering blacks and whites. Well, BAPA sued for Southwest suburban real estate firms for steering blacks to Beverly only. BAPA lost the first case and settled the others. And real estate agents went through training. But more importantly, Shannonbrook said that it put the industry on notice. Now, the industry sued BAPA, <laughs> accusing them of not letting suburban brokers in the neighborhood. But BAPA prevailed against that lawsuit. One of the things that drew us to Beverly is, is it seems so stable and so it's interesting to hear, you know, going back 20, 30 years, just how up in the air that sort of stability was at certain points in time. 
Well, there were some tough times in the 1970s <laughs> and 1980s as blacks were starting to move in. I talked to Jennifer Smith, who is white, and sometimes she was the only white girl in her class at Vanderpool Elementary in Beverly. And here's what she had to say about some of the tension that took place among whites in the neighborhood when it came to race. I feel, you know, in the 80s, there was a very sharp divide between, like, sort of the Catholic school kids and the public school kids. Most of the white people in Beverly sent their kids to Catholic school. You know, myself, my siblings, and there were a handful of white kids that went to the public schools. We got called a lot of racial epithets in, you know, I'm talking like eight, nine, ten years old, like little kids. The kids from the Catholic schools would come and, you know, throwing sand in the park and N-word and lover, you know, all that kind of stuff, which I know they got. I mean, where do they get it from? They're eight years old. They get it from the home. So it's not something that they come up with spontaneously. And here's Todd Clayton, who's African-American. He went to Morgan Park High School and told this story of playing basketball in Beverly Park in the early 1990s. We were chased from the basketball courts by a group of white boys with bats, chains. And when the police arrived on the scene, they didn't do anything to the boys that were still in the park. They just told us it would be best for us to stay away from the park to avoid trouble. Beverly's black population has continued to rise over the years. In the 1990s, the black population was at 24 percent. These days, it's approximately 34 percent. So, Patrick and Aaron, you're an interracial couple. Racially, have you all felt welcomed in the neighborhood? Yeah, Yeah, I think we both feel very welcome. Yeah, absolutely. We have very nice neighbors. But how would you say race relations are? Is there anything that can be improved? The one thing that stands out to me is that I do a lot of sort of local community mom-based activities with Hampton. And while everyone is very open and accepting, welcoming, I've never felt uncomfortable. I will say I'm often the only mom of color at a lot of the events. I think there's still a lot of separation in terms of um, activities outside of the home. Patrick, what about you? I've always felt very comfortable in the neighborhood. It's still in the middle of Chicago and all of Chicago's history and all of the larger problems that the city has. So uh, I don't think it's perfect by any means. I think it's still subject to all of those larger forces. On a personal level, it's been a very welcoming community. So I learned a lot through this process also. I didn't grow up in Beverly. I grew up in Chatham, but I was part of DSEG busing that put me to school at Sutherland in Beverly starting in the early 80s. And I went to Morgan Park and My aunt was one of the first blacks to move to Beverly, and my parents now live in the area. They moved there when I was in college. Um, And as someone who's from here, it was a lot of aha moments. But Erin, was your question answered? (laughs) Yeah, my question was definitely answered. Um, I think we've had this conversation many times walking through the neighborhood, sort of, I've always always been curious about this. And so basically coming to this theory that it must have been strategic, right? I mean... You just don't see it happening anywhere else on the south side. She kept saying to me, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask Curious City. I'm going to ask Curious City. <laughs> I did. And then one day she did. She said, hold on a second. I gotta, I'm doing something. And- it's a really good question. <laughs> it was, Aaron. Well, we've got a video charts and a web story. And Hampton and Aaron are in that video. And if you go to WBEZ.org slash Curious City to find out more about this Beverly immigration question. And we're not done talking about this either. On Tuesday, June 17th, we're hosting a live conversation at the Beverly Arts Center where we'll ask, 
what makes Beverly unique. I'll be there along with a bunch of other folks from the community. So come join us. Again, that's Tuesday, June 17th at the Beverly Arts Center. Go to wbez.org slash Curious City for more info. Curious City is produced by WBEZ and Air with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Curious City is supported by Dover, a diversified global manufacturer that delivers innovative equipment and components, specialty systems, and support services through its four major operating segments, energy, engineered systems, fluids, and refrigeration and food equipment. By combining global scale with operational agility, Dover is a leader in the markets they serve. The Dover team of over 25,000 employees takes an ownership mindset, collaborating with customers to redefine what's possible. Find out more at DoverCorporation.com. Hampton, do you have a shout out? Great Grandma Kay. All done. All done. Are we all done? (laughs) (laughs) All done is one of his favorite phrases. Yeah.